My in-laws live on a farm along a busy stretch of Highway 49 in the Sierra Nevada foothills. The county that they live in is Calaveras County, and it's one of the most politically conservative counties in our state. So it was noteworthy the other, the other day as I was making the turn into their driveway to see a very large Biden-Harris sign along the highway up by where their barn used to be. You see, it's a small town. And so I asked them if they expected any pushback for their sign. I think that uh, in that area, I think that Trump signs outnumber Biden-Harris signs by probably at least 20 to 1. No, they said it should be just fine, which it was for a few days. But then a couple of days later, when I returned to the ranch, I noticed that the sign was no longer standing. I came to find out that in the night, the post had been uprooted and the sign's zip ties had all been cut off. What feelings does that bring up for you? For me, uh, I was, I felt indignant, felt angry. Felt a little frightened for them. Not unlike when our signs out on uh, Cedar about Jesus being a refugee go missing. It, it feels like a, a kind of a violation, an affront. Now that uh, Biden Harris sign is back up, this time it's behind a barbed wire fence. Then, uh, just a couple of days after this happened, I was talking with a friend who lives up the mountain from Angel's Camp in Bear Valley. And he chuckled as he shared that a, a teenage son of one of his friends has been going around town in Bear Valley ripping Trump signs out of people's lawns. Now, once again, I want you to, to notice your feelings. Are they any different this time? Because we're talking about the same action, just on a different side of the fence. It's the division of our nation playing out in fields and lawns across Calaveras County and our country. Now, these acts pale in comparison to the murder of protesters in Kenosha, Wisconsin, in Portland, Oregon. But they offer a glimpse into the mimetic conflict that is coursing around us. A conflict that has us identifying with a candidate or particularly against a candidate. And a desire to protect myself and my people against the other. This desire is running at a fever pitch. Now this is not new. But the willingness to destroy 
or to inflict harm, the inability or the unwillingness to see the humanity on the other side, this feels different. And it's the very kind of conflict that today's gospel was written about. In last week's passage from the 18th chapter of Matthew's gospel, we heard Jesus set out some pretty clear expectations about how to handle conflict, the conflict that is inevitable whenever human beings live alongside each other. And so this week we start off with Peter's response. Uh, And he asks a question that is just as real as any in Scripture. This conflict resolution is all well and good, Peter seems to say. But how often do we have to do this before we get to not do this? Really, just how many times do I have to forgive my sister or brother who is so clearly wrong? There must be a limit to this. We cannot forget, friends, that Matthew's gospel was written at a time of deep and sustained conflict. This was not an academic question about forgiveness and reconciliation for these early communities. It is a gospel that warns us of betrayal and of families rent asunder. And if you cannot find a way to forgive, to reconcile, this gospel tells us, you will not be able to live. And so I wonder if this is why we have such a harsh and challenging parable, something I really struggle with. I wonder if it's because much like other teachers of his day, Jesus of Nazareth employs a fair amount of uh, hyperbole. Right, That Greek word that means to throw beyond or to throw too far. Why would Jesus intentionally throw so hard at us? I wonder if it's because forgiveness is really easy to dodge. If I only have to forgive that person seven times, then maybe I'll just bide my time until the seventh trespass. Because I know it's coming. But if the expectation to forgive is incalculable and if the stakes really are this high, I think Jesus really, really wants us to pay attention. Why is it that we find it so hard to forgive? What keeps us estranged from those that we have once loved? Distant. Or what has us at each other's throats demanding punishing payment? My sense is that when we have been hurt, when we feel threatened, It is easy for a feeling of resentment to build and to kind of lock in place. 
And we can get stuck, unable to imagine any way forward. Now, often there are real reasons why we hold on to this pain and to the anguish and to the hurt. Because there are times when people around us wound us and they owe us. But over time, from this, this debt, there can emerge an intense desire to punish. And with it, a feeling that, that you almost have a right to punish that person. And with that can come a sense of power. Even if the other person holds more power than we do, positional power or other kinds of power, even if they hold that, when we nurse that resentment, when we hold on to that debt, we feel that we hold a kind of power over the person who has wronged us. But friends, this is a, a dangerous sort of power because it can be very hard to let go of because it doesn't just hold sway over the other person. Subtly but surely, these grievances, they take hold of us. For the tighter that we grasp on to our resentments, the tighter we find ourselves bound to the past, unable to move forward. As I was considering why it is so hard to forgive this past week, I found myself thinking of a story of a friend and her brother. Many years ago, their relationship fractured. It was because of the care of a troubled member of their family. She was, my friend, was repulsed by her brother's insensitivity, and he was infuriated by her judgment. Both felt righteous at the time. And over the years, their political differences became proxies for this rupture between them. And as has happened in our nation, the gulf between them slowly widened. Now, my friend could have written her brother off. Many of us do. And that could have been the end of the story. But something within her just kept nagging at her. She couldn't let go of it. So one day she decided that she would pick up the phone and call. Not to tell her brother how misguided or wrong or backwards he was. But to see how he was. And that's how it began. Slowly. The turnaround, though, came when his wife was diagnosed with cancer and his wife was dying. And he didn't know who else to call. 
But because something had begun there, he called his sister, and my friend faced that moment, a moment where she could have held on to her righteous anger. Like that slave, she could have demanded payment for the debt incurred years ago. But because somewhere inside her heart had begun to soften, she saw a new way forward. And she said, of course I'll talk with you. And the forgiveness of each other, the reconciliation of their relationship began. And it started, my friend says, because she was willing to put down her shield. She was willing to accept some of her own responsibility. She was willing to listen and to see him as another human being. It happened when she was willing to step back and start to understand the pain he was feeling. It happened when she was willing to look into her innermost self, what the ancients called the heart. And to surface that pain and anger and resentment and start to let it go. And yes, forgiveness happened in fits and starts. There were still bits of conversation that frustrated the other. Forgiveness is really hard work. And it takes time to unfold. They still disagree on so many things politically. But my friend has learned to listen. To learn where her brother is coming from. And in the process they have discovered, surprisingly, some common ground that did not exist before. My friend says that it feels so good. It is an amazing gift to find what was once lost and is now found. Now, I realize I may be alone in this, but I, uh, I find myself constantly tempted by the lie that I will be better off if we just get rid of those people. I think many of us have an idea of who those people are for us, the ones who have disappointed me, the ones who have disparaged me, the ones who have damaged me. One's on the other side of the fence. But we, you and I, we cannot begin to forgive, to make right. If we can't do this, to acknowledge our own faults, to start to make amends, if we cannot begin to forgive, then we will not be able to imagine a different way. And we will remain trapped in a prison of our own making. Seeking the path of forgiveness inherently involves risk. It inevitably means that we will be made vulnerable. It does not mean forgetting what has happened to us, but 
it does mean letting go of the hurt so that it no longer has hold over us. This is a dark and difficult time in our nation. And it is not clear what is ahead. But being willing to forgive means willing to trust that the pain of our past will no longer control the possibility of our future. And this we can trust.